I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I'm so excited to discuss my sponsor today, which is Page One Books, because my summer book bundle is ready on pageonebooks.com. And the bundle that I've put together includes three books that I picked, uh, Montauk by Nicola Harrison, More Myself by Alicia Keys, and I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, all of which have been on this podcast here. Uh, it includes a Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Beach Tote, a cute little library card pencil slash cosmetic case, and a water bottle for staying hydrated, plus a little... Um, thing of sun lotion. So go to page1books.com, page one with the number one. So page number one books.com and check out my page one books summer bundle. Buy it as a gift, a housewarming, if you actually go somewhere or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. <laughs> page one books.com. Welcome to day four of my July book blast. Today, I'm going to be calling this Thrilling Thursday, and there are a bunch of thrillers and suspenseful reads that I thought you'd really enjoy and that would make great summer reads. A lot of these came out during the pandemic, and they're really worth your time, so I wanted to get them out. I hope you enjoy them. Deborah Jo Immergut is the author of You Again. She's also the author of The Captives, a 2019 Edgar Award finalist for Best Debut Novel by an American Author, which was published in the U.S. and in over a dozen other countries. She has also published a collection of short stories called Private Property. Her essays and stories have appeared in American short fiction, narrative, and the New York Times, among others. A recipient of Michener and McDowell Fellowships, she has an MFA from the Iowa Writers' Workshop and lives in Western Massachusetts. Deborah, so you again, first of all, tell okay. listeners, please, what you again is about. And then I want to hear about the impetus for writing this book and everything else. Okay. So you again is about a 40-something-year-old working mom in New York City who is coming home late from work one night and looks out her taxi window and sees her younger self coming out of a, a nightclub that closed years ago. And it is really about this woman who is literally haunted by this younger self and what these encounters mean, how they change her, how they throw her life into complete upheaval, and how she comes out the other end of it. So I know this is not your first book, but tell me how this particular book came into your head. Were you in a cab, like, by the Hudson, <laughs> by the Hudson Tunnel? What, is it not called the Hudson Tunnel? I'm losing my mind. Hudson Tunnel, right? <laughs> Holland Tunnel. Holland Tunnel. Oh my gosh, I've been out of the city too long. (laughs) Did you ever see yourself while you were in a cab or somebody who looked like you and then that sparked the novel? That's my theory, but probably is not true. So tell me. Not exactly, but not far off. So what happened was I was walking through my old neighborhood in Greenwich Village with a stroller holding my one-year-old son at that time. And I just it happened to be in this area where I had lived when I was in my 20s. And by this time, I was in my late 30s or mid 30s, I guess. Yeah, about 35. And I walked by my old building. I just kind of happened to onto this block. Hadn't been there in a long time. And I just had the strangest sensation that I was just going to see my younger self like coming out of the door. It, the, the block is one of those landmark blocks. So nothing had changed. The old tenement building was still there. And I just felt like I could see her coming out. And then I thought, and what would she say to me? Because here I am pushing a stroller. She wanted to be a novelist. I have not yet managed to get that novel out there. What would our conversation be like? 
And what would I tell her? And what would she say to me? And that moment stuck with me for a long time. At that period, I really wasn't writing. And I think that was part of the, the reason that I felt this encounter might be somewhat difficult. But as soon as I did get back to writing a few years later, that story, I thought, I need to just start writing it and see what the girl says. <laughs> so cool. Now I'm thinking in my head, like, wow, at what times could I really have used the me now to go back and say something encouraging to the me then, right? That would be so nice if you had those kind of I don't know, touchstones throughout life to get you through the harder times. <laughs> Wait, but tell me, so you you started writing and then you took a break for like 20 years, essentially. And then you came back. Tell me what that journey was like. Well, I went to the Iowa Writers Workshop and got off to a pretty nice start, sold a story collection, half finished. It was really sort of the first handful of stories I'd written in my life. And that was probably not great. I was so green. <laughs> <laughs> I really did not have a clue about what I was doing as a writer, as a published author. You know, I just didn't, I was unprepared and I was young and it kind of threw me for a loop. And I thought, wow, this was, this was a rocky journey and not what I expected. And it was kind of a difficult publishing experience, but as I know now, and that, since I know so many authors and friends who are writers, pretty much every publishing journey has a lot of bumps in the road. But that's how green I was. I didn't know that. So I needed to retreat from it a little bit. And I did write a novel that got rejected. So that even more sent me a signal. I need to step back from this. And at the same time, I became a mom. I had, you know, needed money. I got a job in the magazine business. And I just thought, well, let me set it aside for a while. And then in those 20 years, it was not that I wasn't writing. But I was, I did go back to writing. And among other things, I was working on this concept of the older self, younger self novel. But I was doing it slowly as a full-time working mom and kind of feeling like I love writing, but maybe I'm just not thinking about publishing at this point. So that's kind of where I was for a long time. And then I slowly made my way back to publishing and, and when I knew I was ready. And this time, has, this time out has been really different. I bet. Well, it seems like things are going well. <laughs> things are going well. So that that novel that I was rejected all those years ago, I took out of the drawer and I put a lot more work into it and sent it out and got an agent. And, and then it was sold within two days of going out of the market. And that was just so far beyond my expectations. And that became my first novel, The Captives. And then the second one, I, I brought this other novel, the, the What Has Become You Again. For the captives, you spent time talking to, you taught writing to prisoners, men, men's prisons, got to know them, and sort of channeled that into your first book. And then now switching gears to a New York-based, you know, harried mother <laughs> for the characters here. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things I was doing in all those years was teaching writing in incarceration settings of various kinds to both women and men and became very interested in those lives. And so The Captives is about a prison psychologist who ends up, like he's about in his 30s, he ends up one day a new client comes in and it's the girl he went to high school with who had a huge crush on from afar the whole time and, and she's incarcerated and it's about what happens between the two of them. So I do, I, I, it's funny, both of these books have these sort of intense duos and who go back in time and who are now coming back to into each other's lives. And I seem to be really drawn to that dynamic. Is there a 
point in your life that you wish you could go back to and, and change aside from the being green and the publishing journey? Is there more of like a personal moment or something that you wish had gone differently or that you would love to go back and redo? Well, I would say about my publishing journey now, I feel like it couldn't have gone better than it has gone. And like, I I think we just, you know, we come to things ideally when we're ready and I was not ready that time and this time I am. So I'm, and I'll also say as a writer at this point in my life, I have so much material to work with. When I was in my twenties, I was, you know, you're sort of scraping the barrel a little bit. I feel like I have this deep well. So I, I really wouldn't change that piece of it. But what I would do is go back to that ambitious young writer and just really tell her, you know what? it's going to be okay. Like the disappointments that feel hard right now, you you know, they, it all smooths out with time. And, and I think, you know, I always used to be skeptical about how age kind of, you kind of get better with age, but I really do feel like life does get better when you have a little bit more perspective for the ups and downs. And so I think I had very, very little perspective then. So I would love to be able to share that with my younger self, just to say, Take a deep breath. You can't believe it now, but this is not that big a deal. <laughs> that is good advice in general. <laughs> the one scene in your book that like, I felt like I related to the most is when the main character is going to Dr. Singh with all these complaints, like fainting, headaches, vomiting, dizziness, aching. And he kind of dismisses her and says, like, are you under stress? And then he says, all the mommies are under lots of stress. And is like, go about your business. You know, I feel like you hear things like this often that you present with some complaints and everyone's like, no, it's stress, it's this. And then you find out that it ends up being all these other things. And in your book, it was a very complicated unraveling of a lot of different factors that I don't want to, you know, I won't go into so as not to reveal anything. But I don't know. I felt like that was such a classic moment that I'm sure other people have experienced as well. Yeah. He says to her, yes, all the mommies have so much stress. And then he tells her to go get a massage at the shiatsu place down the block. And he thinks that might do the trick. And of course it doesn't. And and she goes down the block though. She takes his advice. Of course, who wouldn't want what stressed out working mom doesn't like the idea of having an excuse to treat yourself to a massage. So she does go there. But while she's in the waiting room waiting to go in, she sees her son outside her she is a 16 year old in a street protest and so she never ends up getting that massage and she has to go out there and mix in a little bit I won't say more than that but yeah in some ways that might alleviate her stress a little bit more kind of getting out into the street with the angry protesters for a moment there. So, which by the way, I was reading and I was like, wow, this is so timely. I mean, the Antifa movement and everything that's going on in Seattle right now and I I mean, I'm sure I'm just like totally naive and in my own little bubble, but I had not even heard of that particular movement before it had before it's been plastered all over the news and then like it's all over your book and <laughs> like this is so of the moment the protesting all of it like I don't know. It was like you had a little bit of ESP or something of what was to come. Well, I'm quite amazed by that too. I was aware of them mostly because when I was, you know, sort of in my 20s to early 30s, my husband is a journalist and we lived in Berlin for a few years and the Antifa has been there and in Europe for, you know, really since the 1920s in various forms. But there have been lots of these, what we now see as Antifa, these sort of black clad young people, very far left. That's been very sort of all over Berlin 
many, many years. And they always sort of grabbed my attention and fascinated me. They were so wild and kind of intimidating looking, but also often you'd see them, it looked like they were having fun. <laughs> and I just, as a baby, as a 20 something of a very different variety, I was just like, well, look at those people, you know? And I kind of just always noticed them and remembered them. And then around Trump's inauguration, that was really where I saw them here for the first time. I don't know if you remember, but they sort of turned up on inauguration day in Washington in a small way. And I thought, oh, look, it's the American Antifa. I always wondered if that would ever take hold there. And as I was starting to work on you again, I knew that my 16-year-old character was going to get into trouble or of some kind and sort of pushing the boundaries and pushing the envelope. And I thought, given everything that's going on in the country and the crazy atmosphere of the last few years, I just had a sense that that was going to might be a coming thing and a bigger factor as time goes on. I mean, we are really polarized, polarized and the extremes are very activated at the moment. So that's where my 16-year-old ends up. And actually my 40 something ends up delving into it i'll say really brought in by her son and trying to figure out what it is and what it means and how it even reflects on her own life but without in endorsing it in any way because i i would say personally i'm fascinated by them but in a in a neutral way got it <laughs> <laughs> I know you just mentioned your husband a little bit, and I just wanted to bring up your modern love piece from early May this year, which was fantastic about needing the space to breathe in your marriage and how Burning Man became a piece of that. And the last line of that, it takes fresh air to feed a fire, just like gave me goosebumps. It was so good. Tell me about selling that to modern love and also what it felt like to be needing that kind of recharging and how Burning Man fit into everything? Well, I think, you know, there's some common themes there in you again and my modern love piece, which shows you how personal this book really is. And it is kind of my statement of being a woman in a very long marriage, in having really worked hard, raising a kid, you know, paying the bills, all of those things that we have to do. And yet somewhere in there is still that sort of teenage girl, you know, yearning to break free. And I think that's what Abigail goes through. And that's because that's what I sort of have experienced in, in the last few years too. And yet I am crazy about my husband. He is wonderful in every way. And we have such a deep, long connection at this point that I knew that I didn't want to walk away from it if I could in any way help it. So the Burning Man piece is really like, what can we do to kind of get some of that freedom into our tight bond without breaking that bond? And the Burning Man adventure was was one way that we decided to try to do that, something that I was really reluctant to do. He was very kind of had a, just a, he was curious about it for years. And, and when I came into this point of my life of feeling like I needed freedom, I thought, well, this is something I can do for him and it might help us. And so it did. It was amazing. I wouldn't say it was like, and then everything was completely different. Like, as you well know, marriage and having a family is an ongoing project, you, you know, and it's, it's always changing and moving and evolving. But that was a kind of a crisis moment that I wrote about that we got through and by just having a great adventure together and something really out of our comfort zone. And it was fun. It was really fun, I have to say. I, you know, I don't know if we'll go back. We might. We're not like hardcore Burning Man people. But what we found out is doing something really out there 
is good for us. It's probably good for everyone. And now doing something out there would just mean like leaving my house, but you know, (laughs) Burning Man could probably really, you know, shake things up. (laughs) That is true. Going to the grocery store these days feels like pushing the envelope. So yeah, that, I mean, it's amazing how in two years feels like an eon ago. I got my hair done for the first time in, you know, you four months. Hair? Yes. And it's- like going into a salon felt like, oh my gosh, I've like, this is a whole new world and like all these people and smells and sounds. And it's like, anyway. <laughs> you're, you're making me a little jealous, I have to say. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. It was pretty much the most awesome three hours I've spent for not too much of a change, but it's okay. It was just nice to, you know, get a little trim and all the rest. and. <laughs> But it's all to say that our, you know, our standards and what constitutes really exciting things out of the ordinary can shift very quickly. (laughs) Absolutely. And I would just add, like, for all you long married folk out there, Burning Man is not necessary, but maybe a little, you know, thinking about how to add fresh air. You know, I think it's it's a it's a really good question to address together. And I guess maybe what, what, what really came out of that whole experience was the honesty of our conversations. And I think that's really what changed is it was even just hard to address that this was an issue, you know, and that we had to really look and work at our relationship, which really had been very easy for many years, you know. So even that, that is a great step to take every so often, I think. Well, it's really great you shared it because I feel like marriage is one of those things that people only discuss on the surface sometimes. And when you actually open up and talk about the real stuff, all it does is help other people through whatever they're going through. So anyway, thanks for doing that. (laughs) Um, So tell me a little more about your writing process. Like when you were writing you again, how long did it take to write and where do you like to write? Do you sit right where you are now? We're on Skype, so I'm like looking at you with this cozy little couch and (laughs) beautiful light streaming in. I actually sit on the other side of the room here, right in the center of my house. One thing I've discovered about myself over the years is I actually being putting my writing space really sequestered somewhere in a corner of the house makes me not go there. So I finally set up my office and my desk right in the center of the house. And I have pretty much been, you know, now my, my, I have one child and he's, been in college, of course, now he's home. And that's a fantastic sort of bonus of what's been a really hard and awful time. I never thought we'd, we'd have him home for, I think it's been four, four going on four months now. So he's around. So I, I, you know, that's fantastic, but I really do kind of write in the midst of my family. And I try to at least touch my work every day, but I will say, I do believe in intermittent persistence. And especially for women who are trying to write and juggle many other things. So I, I would say I've gotten two novels out there and a collection of short stories and a bunch of other essays and things writing persistently, but with breaks. And it's okay. I, I mean, I think sometimes there's a machismo in the writing world about you must write every day. You must do so many words every day. And when I'm in a, able to do that, my life allows, I do that. But there are other times when I have walked away when I need to, and I go back and it's still there. So I just like to, to put that message out for women who are trying to write. I think intermittent persistence is, is a good strategy if you, can't, if you can't make it every day. I like that. It takes a little of the pressure off. <laughs> yeah. Do you have other advice to aspiring authors? 
I think I would just say you need to find your core stories. Like you again, coming out of this, this moment in my life, and it just felt like a very urgent question to answer how to make it in a long marriage, how to grapple with unfulfilled ambitions or sidelined ambitions. So I think you can't, you can't shy away from going there, you know, to those hard or deep issues. That's the well. It doesn't mean you have to write openly and blatantly about them. But I, I sometimes think of it as method acting, like when the director needs a, a, a child actor to cry and he goes up and whispers in his ear, you know, remember when your dog died? Like, you know, that's what you want to be thinking about. So you can, and, it, and the scene may concern something completely differently. I think you need to tap into those emotions. But if you're, you know, then write a, a spy thriller if that's what you want to write, but try to locate it in your core. That works very well for me. Love that. That's so great. Just going back to structure for two seconds, because so much in this book, there was so, like, I loved at one point, there was somebody who was like, okay, let's go over all the facts right now. And you like outline them all like step-by-step. Here's what we know. There were so many different pieces. It was like a kaleidoscope sort of of what's true and what's not true and who believes what and what's transcript and whatever. How did you assemble that? Like, how did you do it? Just tell, tell me how you made that work. I'm very impressed. When I began the book, I really just had that vision that I talked about before with me and the stroller and the girl coming out of my old apartment building. I I had no idea what the explanation for this could be, how this woman could be seeing herself. And I just wrote with a, a fair amount of fear and trepidation, how am I going to explain this? And one thing I knew for sure was I didn't want it to be like, she woke up and it was all a dream. Like I really said to myself, if you're going to tackle a woman haunted by her younger self, you must have some plausible explanations for why it happens. And yet you must maintain mystery and depth, like not over explaining. So that was scary as I got further and further in and was really committing to the story and not knowing exactly how to do it. it what I found is like, you're, you're, I'm sure you've heard authors say this before, your subconscious is smarter than you are. And so slowly explanations started to emerge. As I brought in other characters, as I brought in Abigail's history and the whole backstory and what's happening with her younger self, the explanations were sort of embedded in the facts of her life. And I think if, you know, so we we discover that the things that happened to the 20-something lay the groundwork for this haunting. And that's like about as much as I can say without really giving too much away, but it was embedded in there for me that I had to get, you know, about two thirds in to the first draft before that started to take shape. And then all those other pieces that you're talking about, the sort of mosaic of explanations and facts and kind of twists that comes in revision when you really see, okay, I need to, you know, I need to account for that plot strand. And, you know, and again, I would look at what I'd set, what the, the groundwork I'd set with Abigail's story, and there were things that I could draw out, sort of possible explanations, possible factors, and weave them in. It's a mysterious process, but you really do need to trust yourself when you're writing a novel, I think. And if you do that enough, I don't know, there's some magic to it. It, come, it, can, it comes together. Well, that's really exciting. I take really a lot exciting. of notes, too. I ask myself questions. I have a notebook for each novel, and ask myself questions, sleep on it. Again, I think it kind of comes out of the subconscious if you if you allow it. Okay. Well, that's excellent. I can't wait to hear what comes out of your subconscious next. <laughs> Are you working on another book or 
what do you what are your plans after you celebrate the book review? <laughs> <laughs> I am working. I am hard at work on novel three. I, I do believe that one of the lessons I learned from my earlier publishing sort of rough seas was that just be working on new things and really going to that beautiful, magical, imaginary place. And that's why we do it, right? To to be able to spend time creating and living in our imagination and, and trying to make dream worlds that will please our readers. So that's the fun part. So I've really learned publishing the best sort of antidote or counterbalance is writing. So I've been writing a lot the last few months as I get ready for you again to come out. And it is set partly in Berlin, drawing from those years in the 90s when I lived there, which was a really exciting time, and partly in the small college town, which is where I live now in Massachusetts. And there's also, there's a mother and a daughter in it. So it is sort of a, an older and a younger, again, and, and a past story and a present story. I'm really starting to see my patterns, but that's okay. You know, William Faulkner read, you know, variations on very similar stories and he won the Nobel Prize. So I guess that's okay. <laughs> What's that expression? If it's not broken, don't fix it, right? Like keep, just yeah. keep at it. I mean, it seems to be working. So <laughs> the subconscious, I mean, that must be what its shape is for me. So Go with it. Go with it. Love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And thanks for your modern love inspirational piece and, and this beautiful dreamlike state of novels. So thank you. Thank you, Zibby. And I just want to say huge thank you to you for all you're doing for writers and readers during this time and before that also, but especially now. It's just fantastic. Thank you. I, I can say on behalf of everyone who's trying to write, we thank you. Oh, so nice of you. It's my pleasure. I love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Okay. okay. All right. Thanks. Bye, Deborah. Thanks for listening to this episode from Thriller Thursday, part of my July book blast to get great authors into your hands while the summer is still going on. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.